0: This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Thanks
1: for staying with us on Real Presence Live this morning. But before we go into our next interview, did you know that there's a Real Presence radio app? There you can listen to live or find podcasts of previous shows like this one. Look for it in the App Store. Now, uh... Um. Well, I was. I mentioned uh, prior to the break that we're going to be talking about ecumenism. But as Father Ermer came into the studio here, he kind of gave me a blank look. He said, "Hey, I'm just here to talk." So, anyway. (laughs) So we'll we'll start out with ecumenism, and we'll see where it takes us. How's that? It's it's going to be educational and uplifting and inspirational, no matter what. Right, Father?
2: Yes, I guess so.
1: Or should I have said, you're going to be uplifting uh, educational and inspirational, no matter what. (laughs) Right. Yeah, okay. Well,
3: let's go. go His reputation as an excellent teacher precedes him. Right. we're ready. (laughs) I know
1: that. And we're talking, for those of you who have just tuned in, we're talking with Father Jim Irmer of the Diocese of Fargo, more specifically in the town of Castleton, North Dakota. And... uh, now, this one tells me it's, we're talking about the unity of all Christians, so uh, that's what ecumenism, ecumenism is all about. But maybe we need to have a right understanding of that word, because I think it gets bandied about uh, quite a bit.
2: Well, yeah, ecumenism, though, does mean the restoration of Christian unity as compared to interreligious dialogue, which would be... Um, conversations on uh, terms of other world religions, like let's say maybe the Islamic faith or Hindu or the Jewish faith or things like that. So ecumenism is the restoration of Christian unity. That's kind of a simple definition of ecumenism.
3: That is very interesting. I I did not realize that.
1: And it's, it's a good follow-up on Dennis Quirin's uh, uh, right. discussion mm-hmm. yes. this
4: morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, so the... Re- Help me again, the restoration, restoration of, of the Christian, Christian unity. Right. Jesus'
3: prayer at the Last Supper.
1: Okay. <laughs> right. John 17. Okay. Absolutely, yes. So it's not the idea that all faiths are the same, and we just have to come to an understanding that, uh, you know, we're all we're all just a little bit different, but everything's the same from the religious standpoint.
2: Well, we do have some core beliefs, certainly in the person of <laughs> yes. Christ and the resurrection. And, uh, yeah, we certainly have deeply fundamental convictions about the uh, what Christianity is about. But we do have other differences, without question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. yeah,
1: I'm just trying to make the point because <laughs> uh, I forget what is the term, multiculturalism? Right. You know, that, that's another term that's kind of being bandied about where, you know, your, uh, your, your, your your particular faith really doesn't matter.
2: Right. We're all the same. Right. And that's not what we're saying at no. all. No, I mean, ecumenism uh, recognizes that in the course of 2,000 years of Christian history, there's been ultimately two huge breaks in uh, in uh, the Christian faith. One is certainly in the 1000s when the East and the West uh, split. Uh, what we know as kind of the Orthodox churches, the Russian and Greek Orthodox, would be one big split. And of course, what happened in the 1500s, what what is classically known as the Protestant Reformation in the West. So the East-West divide in the 1000s and the the great Western kind of collision of uh, faith understandings in the 1500s. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's. So restoring those back would be what the goal of ecumenism is about.
3: And in, in our most recent concern with Germany, in the church, well, you know.
1: there's lots of understanding yep. going on yeah, in the there. church.
2: That's right. <laughs> okay. mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Well, I think it's kind of interesting, though. You know, when you talk about you know restoring, you know, like you know, kind of trying to rewind the Reformation to some extent, the you know that uh, people have. Uh, I think a lot of our Protestant brothers and sisters are kind of surprised about, you know, how really there are a lot of
2: things that we do have in common. Well, without question. Yeah. Without question, yeah. I mean, that's that's fact. I think it's uh, many of the things that are not uh, specifically about the person of Christ, but certainly the nature of the church and what makes up the church. And uh, that's where a lot of uh, different practices and different theologies have emerged in the course of, Certainly, the Protestant Reformation, but also with Eastern Church, right. and uh, you know, um, it's things like the papacy. Um, you know, those kinds of that's a huge question for I think the Eastern Church, uh, the role of the Pope in the life of the Church, and uh, how they understand that versus you know how certainly the Catholic Church of the West would understand itself. So, yeah.
1: and we can also look back to our last uh, guest, Father Andrew, talking about Marian devotion. Yeah. You know, yeah. that that's a tough one. You know, you know, so many times when we're listening to uh, uh, real presence radio and uh, you know like on the uh, the journey home uh, talking to people who have converted from Protestantism to, to Catholicism it's kind of like what was what was the, the last thing you know that you had a hurdle you had to overcome and a lot of times they say Mary you know?
3: although that wasn't father Andrew mentioned that that wasn't true there that all of the I don't think we can call them founders but the Particular leaders in the Reformation had devotion to our Blessed Mother, a strong devotion to her.
2: Yeah, and I would say, you know, you, you this is a pretty nuanced discussion when you mm-hmm. talk about uh, Protestant Christianity. It's not as monolithic as, um, you know, when I taught a course at Shanley uh, back when I was there from 1980 to 82, uh, one of the things was in church history, and I, there was a good book. And uh, there was uh, I kind of one of the first times I ran across the— f- basically four big divisions within uh, within the Protestant kind of Reformation period, was what was called the Lutheran Reformation. And then there was the uh, Reformed Reformers, which would be more John Calvin, uh, the more Presbyterian kind of things that have emerged out of that. Certainly there was then the Radical Reformers, which would be much more uh, literal in terms of interpretation of scriptures. We'd maybe call that the more Baptist tradition uh, in the present day that we live in. And, of course, there was the English Reformers, which is the, Anglican, the Episcopalians, uh, even the Methodists come out of that kind of a history. So it's a very nuanced discussion when you get into Reformation history and what was going on. And uh, I think a lot of people, you know, look at practices, you know, like the rosary. Okay, Catholics do that, Protestants don't. But, you know, you get into high church kind of uh, Episcopalian, Anglican church, very deep devotion to Mary, the saints, So, I mean, you can't put everything in the same basket, and I think that's one of the things that has always intrigued me about ecumenical studies is that to know that nuance and not to put everybody and uh, lump everybody together in the same basket. Do you think that ecumenical studies,
1: uh, when you look at kind of the the history of the post-Reformation, you talked about the four main splits just a second ago, and then you think in terms of look- Look what's happened from there. You know, even the splits have split and split right, and split. Right, you know, and now, right. and now I don't know how many different denominations that you have. Is, Hundreds. Is, 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 would you say the part of ecumenism is to try to reel some of that in?
2: Well, I think when you look at ecumenism from more of a, at a theological level and a church level, uh, I think you know you look at some of those which have a lot more similarities that are easier to approach because we have not nearly the differences. Certainly, the Anglican communion would be, and what ought to be the Episcopalian in this country, they certainly have a lot in common, but they too would have a high church and a low church Once, You know, high church Episcopalian would be very highly liturgical. They call their priest fathers. Uh, they have, uh, you know, they have great devotion to Mary. Uh, so, so, and the saints and blessing of animals like we would at mm-hmm. St. Francis of Assisi day. So that would be something. The Orthodox would be certainly another group. Uh, the Lutherans would certainly be kind of close to that, but I think as you work down that, there's a lot more differences and the church understands there's a lot more things that have to be talked about than uh, maybe some of the bigger doctrines that kind of were the separating ones between Protestant Christianity and the, the Catholic Church.
1: Yeah, I have a, an Episcopalian friend who calls himself Light Catholic.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> I've heard that line, yes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, Father, what would you say are the How do we approach this? How do we approach ecumenism as a church? Or even as, you know, the lay faithful? Is there, do you have any wisdom? I'm sure you do. Um, You know, we can talk about it, but how do we live it?
2: Well, I think, you know, I think after, from the Catholic perspective, way back in the early 1900s, the, the Protestant churches, especially missionaries, began to understand how, problematic it was as they went on to missionary journeys when they had so many different kinds of denominations going out to whether it might be Africa or, you know, different parts of the world. And so that, that was the beginning of the world council of churches that could we come together and establish them. That was just Protestant churches coming together. And of course, then there was the national conference of churches and the Catholic church did not actually join that kind of coming together in the early 1900s, but in 1962 with the beginning of the Vatican II council, one of the decrees was on ecumenism, and one of the very opening lines in that decree was, "The restoration of Christianity is one of the reasons why Vatican II was called." So that's when the Church, Catholic Church, really entered into this kind of uh, the what we would call now the ecumenical movement in a big time.
3: Were there and, representatives from those? Yes,
2: and now we do now not as a, at one time it was not official members, but kind of joined as kind mm-hmm. of uh, uh, observers. You might want to say. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I went to the seminary in nineteen, you know, uh, I was in St. Paul's Seminary. And we could take a few courses if we wanted to from neighboring seminaries. And one of the ones was a theology in the ecumenical movement uh, by, at the Luther Seminary in the Twin Cities. And it was uh, taught by Warren Quanbeck, who had been one of the observers, the Lutheran observers, invited to Vatican II. So he was clearly, from the, the three years of 62 to 65, mm-hmm. he was an observer from the Lutheran Church at that council. And he, I always thought, it was a marvelous course. He was the most respectful of, you know, differences in church teachings, but I thought he gave a very interesting kind of thing. How do we work now towards this restoration of Christian unity? So my course in the theology of the Ecumenical uh, uh, Church was taught by a Lutheran professor of uh, their theology at Luther Seminary. And that always intrigued me. I I come from a history where my mother was Presbyterian, Mm -hmm. my grandfather was, um, and I've seen it kind of on a practical level. So I've always had this interest in ecumenism and more than why did the splits happen? what were the kind of foundational reasons why this thing happened in the 1500s And again, you can never get into those questions without understanding history
3: mm-hmm. And what was happening in the culture?
2: Well at that time you know you know it's in 1417 you know Luther was born in 1483 but in 1417 the church you know was divided or had three popes. This was not a great time in the life of the Catholic Church and so, the church was reeling from a lot of problems, internal problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, I took a course when I was in Rome from 1995-97, a number course in, in communism. Because you can get a degree, advanced degree in communism oh, if really? you want to in Rome at the Angelicum University. So I took these courses just as side issues. But, you know, there's been a lot of reform movements in the church. And one of the ones interesting as you kind of lead into reform movements was uh, the poverty movements. Uh, early in the 1200s. And the only poverty movement that was accepted by the church was the Dominicans and the Franciscan order. There were previous uh, poverty poverty movements that went on, and the, the church did not accept that. But the Dominicans and Franciscans did. Interesting. Okay, well, we're it's, again, time is not our friend. It's
1: it's time for a quick break. Uh, we're we're visiting with Father Jim Irmer about ecumenism. And on the, on the other side of the break, I think we'll talk about... Uh, does it mean compromising our Catholic beliefs? So stay with us, and we will be right back with more Real Presence Live.
5: You know, one of the things for me, the, the, this concept of making holy the day, you know, not just one moment but the whole day, and you know as as a member of the clergy, we pray the Liturgy of the hours um, you know throughout the day, various times of the day and for me that is that's kind of what's grounded my day in always being there, turning to God. but when you're you know when you're at work, when you're driving in your car, there's a lot of a lot of things you can listen to, a lot of voices that can be out in the world talking to you. And putting on Real Presence Radio and, and having you know that, that presence there um, is a great way to make holy the day. Even those little voices that just keep us thinking about God all day long, not only does it connect us more with our Lord, but it makes those little struggles that you deal with on an everyday basis so much easier to deal with.
0: you're listening to real presence live now back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area heard right here on the rpr network
1: welcome back to real presence live we are with the inspirational and uplifting father jim Ernmer from castleton north dakota the diocese of fargo we're talking about ecumenism and Dreen, i think you had a question you wanted to kick us off with if it's all
3: right um uh, during the break, we were talking a little bit about um, some important things that uh, we need to consider um, in this area, and one is how have the dynamics of ecumenism changed post Vatican II. So, I, you know, anticipating uh, like social and cultural changes in the world, and how have that in, how, how have they influenced other churches, and how do we deal with that in in our work of Christian unity?
2: Uh, well, I'm. trying to keep on top of some of these things that are going on in the world of humanism. Uh, and one of the things, certainly, that happened after Vatican II was a strong number of years where Catholics and Lutherans and other, like the Anglicans, would have um, bilateral dialogues on issues. Like, for example, Eucharist, uh, Mary, Peter, and which was kind of what does the Scripture say about Peter because that becomes pretty foundational for Catholic understanding of the Petrine ministry of the Pope. And so dialogues were a very uh, significant part of those early years of ecumenism, and a lot of the wonderful things happened. Um, but I think as more and more churches begin to have internal issues, and uh, maybe like ordination of women, uh, questions maybe that are really practical kinds of questions in this day and age of gender ideology and all those kinds of issues. There was a talk at one time that maybe because of dogmas we couldn't kind of get together. We mm-hmm. have a lot more time to spend on that. Maybe in moral issues we could. That was the initial thing, that maybe we could sit down, whether it was with the poor or other kind of moral. And that became something that I don't think was uh, necessarily easily done either. We have many splits on those kinds of issues, too. And so I think the more recent kind of a thing is where Pope Francis has, You know, I know a lot of people maybe don't like that, but it's about dialogue and encounter, Mm -hmm. that you're not going to get into these issues unless you're willing to sit down and have a conversation and not just have a conversation, but really encounter the other person. And the reason I think that was very, for me, a personal thing was my grandfather, uh, who, like I said, was Presbyterian. He had two daughters. My mother was one of them. You know, my, at least as my mother tells the story that he, if he told his two daughters if they married a Catholic, they'd be cut off from the will. <laughs> well, uh, so when that mom and dad got married, for three months, he did not talk to my mother in the streets of Wally. he her by. Now, I never knew my grandfather like that, okay? So he was just Grandpa Ferguson, and <laughs> he was... Uh, but when he uh, was dying, uh, it was interesting. In the eighth grade, my grandfather died. And uh, my dad, who was the Catholic, compared to the other son-in-law, who was a Presbyterian, my dad, was the Catholic, was made the administrator of the estate. Something happened there that always was intriguing to me as I got older in life. What happened there that that kind of movement happened? And I think a part of that is is exactly what Pope uh, Francis is talking about. As you enter in a dialogue and have conversations an encounter, because we always visit our grandparents on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So I never knew this side of my grandfather at all. I, I just seriously wish mm-hmm. she would have been alive when I was ordained because mm-hmm. I think it would have been so much fun because he obviously was a very religious man mm-hmm. and had a deep faith. And my mother acquired that, you know, when I was growing up. She did not become Catholic until I was in the third grade. So they were married for a number of years before she entered into the Catholic Church herself. So it's uh to me, that's what I think. So what's happened is kind of where we are today that Pope Francis asks us to maybe enter into a dialogue and encounter. Because we are, got lots of differences, not just in dogmas and stuff of that nature, but also moral issues and spiritual issues that are uh, present, running in our politics and our culture that we live in.
3: It helps us to understand one another, yeah. too, as a
2: first Well, step. I was, at time when I was here, I was at Carus Institute over at Concordia. They had that Institute on Ecumenism. I think I was the first Catholic priest who was head of that uh, as their board of directors. So I've always had a great interest. Mm-hmm. In, and you sit down and you meet lots of kinds of people. And and I think you share kinds of conversations. And you become, mm, okay, well, we don't have many. We There's a lot of wonderful human spirit that we have in common. And we should uh, uh, grow in that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And the conversation can grow and you can get a chance to evangelize. Why does the church teach us? or understand the Catholics say this, is that true? Well, that's not quite true, and you get to have nuance. You know, yes. the devil's in the detail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, I guess. Did you have a question? Well, I,
1: I, well, I got a, a, diff, a different question, but I think it's kind of related, and that is, uh, you know, on the Catholic side of this equation, some people think in terms of, well, this whole ecumenism just means, you know, we got to compromise our Catholic beliefs.
2: Yeah, that was a sadness. When I was in Rome from 1995 to 1997, I lived at the Casa Santa Maria, which was the house of graduate priests, priests who were already mm-hmm. ordained, but going back to Rome and getting another degree, I was getting mine in moral theology. And uh, so I had this interest, so like I said, I went to courses, additional courses on ecumenism, and i it was kind of a sadness. A lot of priests, I think, thought that, well, ecumenism is when they come on back, we'll be willing to talk. And so there wasn't even an openness to kind of engage in conversation which is certainly not what Pope John Paul II said in his encyclical letter in 1995, Unum sin, that all may be one, that comes from John mm-hmm. 17, that prayer for Christian unity, where he said, you know, the Catholic Church is irrevocably committed to ecumenism because that's the will of the Father, that all may be one is, you know, when Jesus prayed in John 17. And it seems to me that's the whole nature of God, the oneness, and yet the Father, Son, and the Spirit, holy reality. How do we live in that kind of difference but unity? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, so I'm not so sure, you know, when you talk about maybe differences, yeah, we have differences in the church, I think, is willing to say some powerful things in the catechism, that I'm, you know, that I think when you have people joining the church, I, I always want to sit back and explain to them, you know, the church says, you know, in the catechism, the church subsists in the Catholic church. The Catholic church possesses the fullness of the means of salvation. Those can be considered very, like, arrogant statements, I think, in the but that's not meant to be that. There's meant to be a fullness here. here what it is. Let us open that fullness up to you. And rather than a compromise, I think it's much more an invitation in the, in the spirit of wisdom. Let's just share this this deep belief that we have. And uh, so I've never been one to see the church being asked to compromise. I think the church is being asked to share a wisdom. And that's not easy to do. That takes some time and a lot of Dialogue and encounter. Yes, well, I and think if you the,
3: don't have that, it cannot happen. Right? It well, cannot happen.
1: I, I think the encounter is the word that's coming to my mind right now, thinking in terms of they encounter Catholicism. Right. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a right.
2: two-way right. Uh, uh, relationship. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, one of the things that I'd say, when you look at the heart of what the break was about, I think there's a really uh, anthropology here that really needs to be talked about. I think the Catholic Church is a much more positive theological anthropology and understanding of what it means to be human from mm-hmm. a theological perspective. Mm-hmm. Luther had a very a sense that the world was pretty deprived after the fall of Adam and Eve to a point where, where there was a total depravity to almost. That has never been a Catholic view, and I think if we can maybe get back to that, a lot of things might Begin to be a little bit better. Amen.
1: Okay, yes. amen. And that's a good.
3: Oh, <laughs>
2: that's we're secret. right at the break
1: time, but before we do that, I'm going to put you on the spot, Father, to give us a blessing before okay. we turn off.
2: Mighty God, as we gather today, always in the spirit of the oneness of the Godhead, we pray for oneness among us as a body of believers, that you would lead us in truth and love, that which is of your will and your life and your love for us. We ask and pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. amen. Thank
1: you, Father. We've been talking with Father Jim Irmer about ecumenism. There's probably more that we could talk about, but uh, our, our time has come up, and it's uh, it's time. And thank you, Father, for coming in today. Amen. It's been a great discussion. And now it's time for our technical
5: director's preview of the next show. So, Eli, the mic is yours. Hey, thanks, Jack. Great show today. Got another good one coming up for you tomorrow morning, 9 to 11 a.m. Central, here on the Real Presence Radio Network. That'll be hosted by Dr. Chris Bergwald and Heather Carroll, live from the Pastoral Center in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. They'll start off the show with Sister Mary Thomas. She'll talk about her ministry as a presentation sister. Then, Father Jim Zimmer of the Diocese of Sioux Falls will ask, Whom are you looking for? He'll talk about finding God in disappointments and the unexpected moments in life. Plus, Marie Mullen will talk about education with a higher purpose. All that and a whole lot more is coming up on the next Real Presence Live, 9 to 11 a.m. Central, right here on the Real Presence Radio Network. Right back to you. Okay, thank you,
1: Eli. Sounds like a good show tomorrow. And uh, we hope that you've enjoyed uh, the the program today. And uh, Doreen, you didn't have a joke today. But uh, do you have one available? I Okay, might well, well have yeah, as she as she grabs for her phone. Well uh, okay, well I know Doug said he sent you another one but 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 Doug had a joke that we weren't going to say for the first time and I don't know if it was cuz it was
3: Okay, I've got one. Okay. Ready? Never mind. Father, you can answer. This. But
1: thanks for the effort, Doug.
3: <laughs> what did the baby corn say to the mama corn?
2: Well, I don't
3: know. Where's Popcorn?
2: <laughs> oh, I should know that one. I love Popcorn. <laughs> oh, boy. We still
1: got a minute to go. You got okay, another one? Here's
3: another corn joke. What does corn say to a compliment? What does corn say to a compliment?
1: Corn say to a compliment? I don't know. Thank you just seems,
2: doesn't that right? I so. no.
3: <laughs> Oh, shucks. <laughs>
2: You I get good, it. Huh? I get, get it? it. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Even Eli's.
3: Good.
1: Eli's that's laughing in it. the in the control you room. You shuck corn, okay? That's right. He's <laughs> uh, a farm. He's <laughs> a
3: teacher by nature. <laughs> well, he's a farmer too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's right. Yes. Okay. One more. Sure. Okay. What do you call a smashed chickpea? Hummus. Almost.
1: Um
3: homicide
1: homicide okay <laughs> i get it okay well so, you it's know it's
3: spring time to plant our gardens i'm not going to say
1: stay tuned for more of that because we're uh,
3: we're signing
1: off now but we'll be back probably in another month so uh, thanks for tuning in to real presence live and stay tuned for more catholic programming on real presence radio this thank has you been real Fox.
0: presence live on the real presence radio network